Welcome to Midlife Mastery, and I'm Brock Edwards, and this is the show where we're looking for ideas, information, inspiration to help create a phenomenal midlife in our 50s, 60s, and even beyond. And it's always good fun to have another midlife podcaster on the show. So today I'm joined by Billy Lahr, and Billy is the co-host of the Mindful Midlife Crisis, as well as co-creator of the Reflect, Learn, Grow course. And we cover a lot of ground in this show as Billy talks a lot about his journey through midlife and, as he mentioned, kind of the mindfulness of midlife and how creating that mindfulness practice changed and maybe even saved his life. We talk about mental health, the danger of isolation, and suicide rates of midlife men. We also talk about relationships, including his secret for meeting people. And, and I thought it was such a great idea. I, I'd never really thought of that approach before. And it's simple, easy to do, and any of us can do it. And he also talks about how setting boundaries really made a difference in his life. Also, talk a bit about making a significant career change where he had a career for a decade or two and left that behind for something new. And we also just cover a little bit about his bucket list item of paddleboarding off of every coast. And so I, I'm always interested in talking to people who are up to big things and especially big things that maybe we don't normally think about. And so anyway, I thought that was a great bucket list item. So give it a listen. And of course, always appreciate it when you leave reviews, whether it's on your podcast app or you can also go to www.lovethepodcast.com slash midlifemastery. Lovethepodcast.com slash midlifemastery to leave a review. Let me know what you're really enjoying about the show so we can do more of that. And also, leaving those reviews helps others learn about the show so more people can create a phenomenal midlife. Anyway, let's get started. All right. So Billy Lar, you are the host of the Mindful Midlife Crisis, which two of those words don't seem to go together. And <laughs> I'm excited to have you on the show today. So because midlife is such a, a, there's such a great opportunity for reinvention in midlife. And we don't always take advantage of it. Sometimes it's thrust upon us. And sometimes we just kind of get stuck in our grooves and our ruts and miss that we could be doing something different. We could be refocusing. And so I, we've got a lot to cover today. I, I guess my first question for you is, you know, kind of for you, what prompted those changes to like start developing a class to help people to create a podcast, you know? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll take it back a, a few years here. So I guess I experienced my crisis a, a little bit sooner than most. It was Around 2013, I was really struggling with my mental health, and I ended up going to therapy. And one of the things that, one of the tools that my therapist shared with me was mindfulness. And it really a, a testament to the power of cultivating a mindfulness practice because I was really struggling with anxiety and depression and suicidal ideation during that time period. And mindfulness, I say it all the time, not only changed my life, but most likely saved it as well. And so as I cultivated and as I built up my mindfulness practice, I wanted to share that with other people because I knew that if it had such a, a powerful impact on my life, that if I could spread this word out to others that it would have a powerful impact on their life as well. And a, a former colleague of mine, her name is Sarah Rudell Beach. She actually was a guest of ours, episode four, if people want to check that out. She she also taught mindfulness. And excuse me, she, she was also uh, uh, leading a mindfulness course through this educator program that we had. And I remember being really protective of it. Like, well, wait a minute, you know, mindfulness is my thing. What do you know about mindfulness? And so I, I was talking to her about it and she was sharing how she used mindfulness to navigate postpartum depression. And she had gone through a bunch of different courses and trainings to the point where she was leading these mindfulness sessions with teachers. And I'm like, okay, you sound legit. <laughs> so uh, let's, let's get, I want to get involved in this. So I took her course and through her course, I learned about mindful schools and mindful schools has something called mindfulness fundamentals. And it was a six week course or something like that. And I took that and then they had a, a mindful educators essentials course. And once you completed that course, 
then you could teach mindfulness to students. And so I completed that and started incorporating mindfulness into my classroom. And then that took me to about, oh, I don't know, 2017, because I remember sitting down with Sarah and and she was leaving the teaching profession to be a mindfulness teacher, which I thought was really, really cool. And her, I kind of looked at her path and I was like, I wouldn't mind being on that path. That looks that looks fantastic. I'd love to teach mindfulness to people. Now, let me ask you a quick question here, Billy. First off, just for you know everyone listening, what is mindfulness? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I, to me, the simple answer is to be to in, set an intention that you are going to be aware of your thoughts without judgment. You're going to be aware of your environment. You're aware of your surroundings without judgment. You are transitioning from doing mode to simply being mode that you exist in that present moment without judgment and you just let things be as they are. And the, ba- the, 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 the way you enhance that practice of mindfulness is through meditation. So mindfulness and meditation are, are two separate things, but they work together. And so in order to deepen your practice of, of mindfulness, you then deepen your practice of meditation. And so I started practicing meditation in order to feel more mindful in moments. And really, I was using meditation in order to manage the anxiety attacks that I was having. And what it allowed me to do was become more mindful of the somatic experience that I was having when I was having anxiety attacks. Because for me, a lot of times it would start in my stomach and I could feel, I kind of liken it to a boa constrictor wrapping around my stomach and constricting. And then it would make its way up to my chest, and then I, I, I wouldn't be able to breathe. And so then, when I wasn't able to breathe, then I would start, you know, panicking, and that that animal brain would start kicking in, and my fight, flight, or fright response would start kicking in, and then I would start becoming reactive as opposed to responsive. And once I was able to develop a mindfulness practice, I was able to become more responsive, and I was able to identify like I said, that somatic experience of when I was having an anxiety attack and say, hey, you're having an anxiety attack right now. I'd be standing up at the classroom teaching Romeo and Juliet having an anxiety attack, but self-talking to the point where I was like, you're having an anxiety attack. Now that you're aware of it, let's keep it here. Let's get the students going on something and you can sit down at the desk and you can do some breathing exercises to keep either keep it where it's at or de-escalate it a little bit. And so once I managed to learn how to do that, it really it it changed just my whole approach to to everything. So much so that I even remember students saying to me the following year because I had them as ninth grade and as 10th grade. And I remember them saying you seem like you're in a better mood this year. And when you hear something like that and it's palpable to where they can feel it too, then you know you got something, right? You've got lightning in the bottle right there. And so I I thought about this journey that I'd been on and and the shift in mindset and what got me there. and, And it was through mindfulness and it was through meditation. So I wanted to share that. And as I was approaching 40 years old in 2017, you know, I was thinking, oh, you know, what do I, what do I want to do here moving forward? And then all of a sudden this title of mindful midlife crisis came to me and I'm like, well, I like that. I like the sound of that right there, this mindful midlife crisis that though I'm, you're still navigating, trying to figure out what it is I want to do and, and I'm in kind of this existential crisis because I'm an overthinker and I'm overanalyzer. You know, I'm doing it mindfully. I'm doing it in a way where I'm able to slow down the balls and the bingo hoppers, so to speak, and see them see them spin a little bit slower as opposed to just bouncing around all over the place. And so I thought to myself, all right, 
Mindful Midlife Crisis is going to be the next great American novel. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I taught English for 15 years, so I was going to sit down and I was going to write my book. And I, I'm so much of a perfectionist that when I would sit down, I just couldn't put it out into words. Like my 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 brain was moving too fast, and my fingers couldn't keep up, and it just didn't feel natural. I was talking to my friend Kristen Brown. And I was telling her, you know, I've got this idea and, and I just don't know what to do with it. It's called the Mindful Midlife Crisis. And she just stopped and looked at me and she said, I love that name. You have one year to do something with that name or I am stealing it from you. And I'm like, bah, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I guess I need to figure out what to do. And it was around that time that I really started getting into podcasts. And I thought, you know, I I kind of got this gift of gab. I, I certainly am no stranger to a microphone. I, I love karaoke. I like entertaining people. I like teaching. I like being in front of an audience. So maybe I can come up with some sort of, you know, podcast platform and, and talk about mindfulness and talk about navigating the second half of life. And I, I didn't feel comfortable doing that by myself. I didn't have the equipment to do it by myself. Now, we know that it's really easy to start a podcast, but I thought you needed to have a studio and, and a big microphone, a big fancy microphone and all that kind of stuff. So I reached out to my friend, Brian, we call him Brian on the bass because he plays bass in every band in the twin cities area in Minnesota. He has all this high end equipment. And I was like, Hey man, I'm thinking about starting this podcast called the mindful midlife crisis. We're, we help people navigate the complexities and possibilities of life's second half. We're going to talk a lot about mental health. Are you interested in doing this? And he's like, dude, I have a degree in psychology and communications. Let's do it. And it was, it was, you know, really serendipitous because, you know, we are, we're, we're different in the sense that I've never been married. I don't have kids. He is married. He has three boys. You know, I, He's he's very alpha male, and I'm kind of more of the, the sensitive type, that kind of thing. So we had this, this interesting dynamic be, between the two of us, but we came together because we wanted to be men talking about mental health on a podcast because I, we don't feel like there's enough men out there who are vulnerable enough to talk about mental health and talk about their mental health struggles. And I share my mental health struggles on the podcast and Brian shared his struggles with, with alcohol addiction and pill addiction. And we just wanted to provide a space where, Hey, we're going to be vulnerable. We're also going to talk to experts about, you know, how to navigate these things. What is mindfulness? Let's talk about what imposter syndrome is. Let's talk about what emotional intelligence is. Let's talk about why diversity equity and inclusion are important in society. All things that people our age are, need to explore or need to have conversations around or maybe don't know how to have conversations. And so, you know, am I naive enough to think that maybe what we're doing is opening a door for conversations? Yeah, because people will text me and say, I never knew this about you, and it actually freed me up to open up a conversation with my brother about it. And so then we had those two on the show to talk about, you know, how that how they had a conversation about his brother's mental health issues. And and it was it, it was really rewarding to do that. And so that's how the podcast came to be in last year in September. Of, of 2021, I decided to take a leave from my job and I wanted to travel. So I went to Portugal for two months. I went to Spain for two weeks. I went to Dakar, Senegal for a few days because I want a paddleboard off the coast of every continent. I went to Puerto Vallarta for a month and then I went to Korea for three months. And around November of 2021, I resigned from my job because I just wasn't going to be able to transition back into that position. And when you, when I did that, I'm like, oh, wait, well, now what am I going to do? And I, I really struggled to figure out 
what it was that I wanted to do professionally. And so I joined this career coaching class and thought, okay, well, maybe I'll go into, into corporate America. And that just wasn't, that just wasn't speaking to me. And I, I knew my friend Jill is a co-active life coach. And I, I still had this desire to teach people, to educate people. And I emailed her, I, I texted her while I was in Korea. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, in doing this class where we help people develop awareness around their thoughts and behaviors so they, they can con- cultivate a more purpose-filled life. Would would you like to partner with me on that? And she was like, "F yes." And I and that's what she texted back was "F yes." And I was like, "Okay, this is this is my partner." And so we've been creating content for that, and and we're going to be launching a six month program in January. And in the meantime, people can email, people can go to our landing page. If people go to www.jilldaler.com, so it's J-I-L-L-D-A-H-L-E-R.com, you can go to our landing page if you click up on the banner on the top and get information and get our free foundational package for our Reflect, Learn, Grow program. And that's where I am right now. Like I'm, I'm, I'm at, and then in oh, 10 days from right now, I'm heading back to Korea because Korea is what spoke to me. Korea is where I felt truly at home. And so that's that's my mindful midlife crisis. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I, and in fact, I want to talk a little bit about Korea and crisis. And But you, you just mentioned something casually in there that I, I can't let slide. And that was paddle boarding off of every coast. Like that is kind of a, a bucket list sounding item that I've never heard anyone express before. So talk a little bit about that. Yes, I'm I'm so I'm from Minnesota. We have 10,000 lakes. So I lived across the street from a lake, you know, and actually I lived across the street from a channel of lakes. There were four all connected. So it's really easy to get to a lake if you're a Minnesotan, you you're just on the water. You're just connected to it. And I I am very much connected to water. I love warm weather, which, you know, is the antithesis of what Minnesota is. But when it is beautiful outside, when it is sunny outside, I like to be on my paddleboard. And people always say, oh, paddleboarding must be such a great workout. And I'm like, well, then you must be doing it wrong because I'm not there to get a workout on the paddleboard. I'm there for the serenity of it. I'm there for, I guess, the meditation in nature. So to speak, I just want to be out on the water and feel the sun hit me. That's what I really enjoy about it. And there's something there's something to being out in the open water and looking around and being in the ocean and like, oh wow. Like this is I'm really out there. There's there's nothing for thousands of miles here this it's just kind of a wild experience to to feel that and my first goal was actually the paddleboard in every great lake and so i've done that now i've paddleboarded in every great lake and now i want to paddleboard off the coast of every continent so i've got four down i've got three to go but yeah it's i'm very much a bucket list traveler i have seen every major league baseball stadium I have seen, I actually was just in St. Louis last weekend and I caught my 50th Pearl Jam show. So I, I like to, I like to cross things off my bucket list and have those kinds of experiences. Well, very cool. And you know, I, I got, now I've never paddleboarded. I've got to think though, that paddleboarding on a lake across the street from your house might be slightly different than say paddleboarding off the Oregon coast. <laughs> Yes, the power of the ocean is rather humbling. It is terrifying how the power of the ocean, especially when I was paddleboarding off the coast of Dakar, it, it was there were there was I got knocked off. I I never get knocked off my board ever ever. Off the coast of Africa, I got knocked off my board a couple times, and I was like, oh 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 oh, oh. and you know, but yeah, I was I was fine, but. Yeah, man, it was wild. It's it's a it's an exhilarating experience to 
to be out there. I paddleboarded off the coast of Florida one time in the Atlantic Ocean, and I asked the guy, how far can I go out? And he said, well, you just need to stay in between the two lifeguard stations, but then you can go out as far as you want. And I'm like, huh, okay. So I went out quite a ways, and when I came back in, he said, yeah, if you go out, I don't want you to go back that far. If the wind would have turned, you would be on your way to Bermuda right now. <laughs> like, well, you should, you should have challenged me. <laughs> yeah, I suspect there's a little difference between a tourist showing up and, hey, wanting to try this paddleboarding thing and someone who's really serious about it. <laughs> right, right, right. Because I would have went to Bermuda if he would have let me. So, <laughs> Well, back to, to so Korea. And, you know, you'd mentioned that, that it was a place that really spoke to you. And I know from previous conversations, you know, that, that was really kind of a, a transitional place for you. And, and so can you tell us a little bit about that and just, you know, kind of for you, what was that transfer, transition transformation? And was it about Korea in particular or just like that happened to be where you were when everything hit? No, that's a great question. So if if people want to go and listen to our summer session, episode six, I talked to my friend Iggy Lee. And the reason why I chose Iggy is because he was the organizer of this meetup group called Soul Walkers. And when I first got to Seoul, it was... It was isolating because I got there at around mid-April and they had just opened up the country to tourists. So I was one of the first tourists there. And when I had been in Portugal and you know Mexico, what I would do is I would listen for people who spoke English and then I would insert myself into their space and then I would talk to them because that's how I made connections. That's how I socialize. I, I'm a very social person. In Korea, it was different. It was a little more sterile. People on the subway looked straight ahead and they didn't talk. And not, I didn't hear English very often. Now, luckily, my Airbnb host, who is one of the most beautiful human beings I've ever met, one of the kindest human beings I've ever met, he showed me around, but there was still kind of that desire to meet other people. And I, I, I didn't know how to do that. And until it dawned on me like, oh, wait, there's meetup. And just to kind of sidebar here, I saw this, this statistic the other day, or this, this carousel on Instagram that talked about the isolation that particularly men our age are feeling. And that worries me and that's alarming because guys our age are dying by suicide at exorbitant rates. They, I mean, it's we're looking at some of the highest numbers and people don't talk about that. People don't talk about middle-aged men and their suicide numbers. And we need to. It needs to be discussed more often. Now, a way to combat that isolation is through something like Meetup. And I, like, I'll, I'll be honest, like, I was I'm a I was addicted to dating apps and if it to me that just makes you feel even more isolated makes you feel even more lonely if those dates don't work out right with this with meetup I cannot recommend meetup enough for anybody but particularly people out there who maybe need some socializing they need to get out of whatever this covid funk is that maybe they're still in that because they with they've withdrawn. I started using Meetup when I got to Korea, and I found this hiking group. And Iggy was the organizer of this hiking group. The first day that I met Iggy and the people of that hiking group, that is a top ten day in my life. I had so much fun that day that anytime they organized an event, I went. And I continued to meet the greatest people that I've ever met in my entire life. So much so that when I left Seoul for Jeju Island, I, I told my Airbnb host, Ernie, that I didn't feel like my time in Seoul had come to an end. I, I said, I think 
I need to figure out a way to come back here after I go to Jeju Island and Busan. So I figured out I, I was able to change my flight. I was able to book another stay with Ernie and I stayed an extra month. I was supposed to leave May 31st. I didn't end up leaving until July 5th. I just loved being around those people and that energy that much that I went back for an extra month. And though I felt whole at that time, I want to continue being surrounded by that energy. I have never felt so valued in my life when I walk into a, an event that's held, that's being led by, by Iggy and, and the people from Soul Walkers. People are excited to see me. And listen, I was the dean of students at the largest high school in Minnesota for six years. When you're the dean of students, you're always the bad guy. They make movies about the dean of students, okay? So to have that and feel that from a large group of, of people and for them to say, I can't wait to see you when you get back, the excitement that the friends that I made have for me to go back there, why would I not? I, I mean, I just, I cannot wait to be surrounded by that energy again. You know, one of the things you, you mentioned there, Billy, is the, the idea of isolation. And, you know, I, I find that I see that as well. You know, it seems like we hit middle age and oftentimes our friends are either just people we work with. So it's a casual thing. It's not like you're hanging out with them. You just see them a lot. Or I don't know, it seems to be, you know, holdovers from high school and college that you're still connected with, but really deep, good friends that it just seems like that's much harder to pick up in midlife. And I can't speak to women's experience, but just looking at men's experience, you know, I would, would definitely echo that. And so anyway, just cool to hear about. I never occurred to me to use like meetup as a, as a way of countering that. And so, so I really like that thought, but you had also talked about, you know, Korea was really kind of a, a transitional place for you in, in just getting clear on what you wanted to do. Cause, cause you had mentioned like, yes, you were Dean of students and all of that. And now you're not, you know, like you left that behind and sometimes that's an easy decision. And sometimes, you know, in midlife, we, even if we're not having a fun time every day, you know, we're in our habits, we're in our patterns, we're, you know, we're, we're invested in that career. And so for you, what was that decision like to, to walk away from administration in public schools? You know, it was, it was a needed transition for me. You know, it was, like I said, it was just, it was, I wasn't going to be able to transition back into that, that position. And, you know, I, I was, I was experiencing burnout and I, it, it just, it, it was, it was the right time to go, you know, it was just the right time to go. And Though there was a grieving period after that, and there was a, now what do I do? You know, like, what, what am I good at? What, how, do I, how do I support myself? It was just the right time to do it, and it was the right, it was the right thing to do for me. Because I, I had nothing left to give that position. Well, that makes it sound sound like a, a fairly straightforward choice then. I mean, even if that took a while to get to. So I, I don't know. I guess I'm just kind of thinking about because, you know, mindful midlife crisis. Like I say the mindful crisis don't seem to go together and that, that transition. So I, I guess is, you know, through your own journey and through talking to others, what are some of the keys that you have found to, I don't know, kind of negotiating this, navigating through this midlife thing and, you know, not completely losing your sanity, you know, actually coming out of it better than you went into it. Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I'm I am not a fan of this idea that we sell, particularly young people of follow your dreams, follow your passion. I think that is incredibly terrible, terrible advice that we give young people, especially if we're trying to encourage them to, to follow their passion when it comes to their profession. No, 
That's not your job. Your job is to figure out what you are good at and then figure out a way to monetize that. And, and most likely that's going to be in some job. Now, your passion might not necessarily be something that makes a lot of money. For me right now, my passion is, is podcasting. I pay to podcast. Like the way that you know that you're passionate about podcasting is if you'll do it for free or if you're passionate about something is if you'll do it for free or you'll pay to do it or you'll do it on a weekend, that kind of thing, right? When we tell people that you should be, that you should follow your passions, what we're not telling them is that, okay, but then you also have to be passionate about a lot of these other little things that you may not have taken into account before if your plan is to make a living off of it, if your plan is to monetize it. What we should be saying is figure out what you're good at, find a job where you can you know, build those skills and then transfer that skill set to your passion. And then if you figure out a way to monetize that passion, then go for it. You know, I, I don't want to go back into education, but I also understand that I might have to go back into education if I want to pay the bills. But I also figured out that I really enjoy helping other people. And I think the biggest awakening for me was when I was in Korea, someone told me that talking to they said they said talking to you stresses me out and that was a real eye-opening statement for me because i i'm I'm pretty intense i practice mindfulness so that i can be this level of intensity and this level of obnoxious because if i didn't i would be off the charts (laughs) i'd just be you know out of control so I practice mindfulness so that I can be this level of intensity, this level of obnoxious, and that was still too much for this person. And I was really, you know, I was attracted to this person. I was really connected to this person. So that that hit me hard. That that really affected me, and it, it had a it. I had an emotional response to that. Like I, I broke down the, a, a couple days later thinking about the impact that those words had on me and the impact that I had had on somebody else. And then I woke up the next day and I realized just how much time and energy I have been investing in people and things that do not reciprocate time and energy to me. And once I came to that realization, everything changed for me. Everything changed for me. I stopped investing in things and people that did not reciprocate that energy back to me. And ever since I've done that, it has been a huge weight off of my shoulders. Now I have to practice. I have to remind myself because my my default is to be persistent. And Another awakening that I had is that I'm a, I'm a people pleaser. I would have never thought I was a people pleaser. If you ask anybody I work with, they will tell you he's not a people pleaser. (laughs) So, but in my personal life, I'm a people pleaser and I needed to work on that. And I'm still working on that, but coming to that awareness that I needed to stop putting in so much time and energy into people and things that were not reciprocating that, that has been revolutionary in my life. Absolutely revolutionary. So what are some of the ways that that's shown up for you? Like, I, I mean, you know, not looking for names of people you cut out of your life, but you know, kind, kind of what were some of the big categories of things that you switched up? It really comes down to dating, to comes down to romantic relationships and, you know, I just wanting someone to like me so badly. And even when I got back from, from Korea, I went on a date, very interesting, very attractive woman, but she was very busy. She was traveling around and I, I would have liked 
to have hung out with her some more. But, you know, when, when you send a text and you don't hear back, my, my default, because I have an anxious attachment style, my default would have been, oh my gosh, why doesn't she like me? What did I do? Did I say something wrong? You know, I better check. I'll send another message. And, oh, she didn't respond to that. Maybe she's, you know, so then I'd send another, another. And it, I was that guy. I was that guy. Like if, if anybody has seen 500 Days of Summer, I was Tom. That, I mean, it was, it, it's pathetic. And it, like, I'm ashamed at these past behaviors. But in this new situation, and this new awareness, when I didn't get those messages back, I was like, oh, maybe she's not interested. And then I was okay with it. I was okay with it. And that that has, I mean, that took a lot of work. But when you start to recognize, when you take, you know, they call it the spotlight effect, right? And so what, what I'm doing and what I'm saying has more of an impact than what it really has. And so when I kind of, when I stepped out of the spotlight and thought to myself, hey, you know, you don't have to be this center of attention all the time and you don't have to be seeking attention all the time, especially from people who aren't going to give you attention. That's okay. Like, even if you really, really like them, if they're not reciprocating it, stop seeking it out. And it has helped me navigate a couple different situations here. I, I had a, a, a PR person reach out to me recently, and we were going back and forth because he was trying to book his, his guest. And he, he was making some what I would call unreasonable requests. And... I just finally, in you know, the people pleaser in me would have bent over backwards and say, yeah, sure, let's do that. Let's do that. And I maintained my boundaries and I said, this is when I'm available. So you guys need to schedule within that, that time frame because I'm giving you a lot of options right here. And you're telling me when to set my schedule and you're telling me how to do the, the interviews and the intro calls for my show. And in the past, I would have been, yeah, no problem, no problem. And I was able to set a boundary and say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And I'm okay if your client isn't a guest on my show. I'm, I'm not hurting for guests. And maybe that sounds a little arrogant, but at the same time, that's what I needed to do. I needed to have that confidence in my in my practice to be able to say, you know what, this is my boundary and not to bend continually bend over backwards to people, please for people who are not putting the same time and energy, because if this guy really wanted to be on my show, he would have just picked up the phone and said, Hey, you know what? It doesn't sound like things are working out between you and my PR guy. I want to talk to you. He was too busy. Well, then I'm too busy for you, dude. Yeah, it doesn't sound arrogant at all. And that may only be because I know that perspective. And, <laughs> you, you, you know, it is, it strikes me that it's such a dangerous downward spiral when you get into that. I mean, because clearly, I mean, in this example, it wasn't that you were like, hey, I'm not going to work with you at all. It was, you know, I've worked with you a reasonable amount and that's what I'm going to work with you on. And if you can work within that, great. And if you can't, great. I mean, that's such a healthier place to be. And you, you'd mentioned kind of the dating part, you know, it, it, it just feels like that's a spiral. You it's hard to pull out of when you start worrying like, Oh, did I do something wrong? Did I say something wrong? I better text again just to see, Oh, they're not responding to that text. Well, maybe they didn't see it. I'll text them again. Instead of just being able to step back. Like you said, I thought it was just such a healthy way of saying it. Like, huh, maybe they're not interested. Okay. <laughs> And being okay with it. And, and like, I think that's the hard part. It's like, you know, my dad, my dad is Rodney Dangerfield in every movie. Everybody likes my dad. And so I grew up seeing everybody like my dad. So I wanted to be like my dad and liked by everybody. So when people, and what I would not see 
are the people that that didn't like my dad, or the people that that weren't into it because you know when I was in, he was just kind of in his element. But that's because he constructed that element. He constructed that arena that wherever he went, people enjoyed his company. Now, if we would have gone to other areas, would have people put up with those antics? Probably not, right? And then I would have seen that, okay, not everybody likes the way that my dad conducts himself, right? He does Not everybody finds my dad's jokes funny. So I never ever saw that though, because I saw only the, this reality that was constructed in, in his preferred environment. And so I got it in my head that, well, everybody likes my dad I, and this is what he does. So I'm going to do that. And then it, it wasn't authentically me. I wasn't, I was trying to be like my dad and that wasn't who I was. I was a different person. And so when I started, when I stopped, when I stopped being phony and not to say that my dad's phony, but what he was to me, it was phony to me. It wasn't genuine. It wasn't authentic to me. And so now I'm really, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of going through in a sense, this identity crisis, who, who am I? But I'm figuring that out more and more and more. And I've been able to do that through reflection. And as I continue to reflect on these things, this new awareness that, oh, you, you tried to be so much like your dad. That's why you struggled with, with these relationships because you weren't being authentically you. Now I'm learning to be more like me. And as I learn to be more like me, then I figure out what I'm good at. And as I figure out what I'm good at, then I grow. And so that's this idea of reflecting, learning, and growing. Well, yeah. And I I don't know the technical definition of a midlife crisis, but I think the question, who am I, sums up every one that I've ever seen as people are some desperately flailing about trying to figure that out and others more, more subtly. And yeah, it just strikes me that, you know, every midlife crisis stereotype probably has that question at the heart of it or someone trying to assert that they are this person, even if that's not who they are, but they think they'd really like to be that person. Well, that's a level of dissatisfaction with where your life is right now. The midlife crisis is no different from the quarter life crisis, from the turning 30 crisis. None of it's different. It's all a dissatisfaction based on what your expectations were, what you expected your life to be at that moment in your life. So you hit 25 and you hit the quarter life crisis because you're like, my expectations of my life were this. You turn 30 because that's a, a, you know, a pinnacle year. You, you, have, you have your 30s crisis right there because your expectations don't match you know, what you thought your reality doesn't match your expectations. And so then when you get to your, your late thirties, your forties, for a lot of people, they've been parents. And so that's their identity. Their identity is being a parent and taking their kids here, there, and everywhere and being an employee and being a spouse. So those are really their only three roles. And that's why when you listen to our podcast, the first thing that we ask our guests is, what are 10 roles that you play in your life? Now, most people start off right away with brother, son, husband, da-da-da-da. And then you get into the creative answers when you get to the last five, six roles, right? Because then they see that, oh, wait, I'm not just this. I'm these other things too. And maybe they had forgotten about it. We talked to Greg Scheiman, who, he, I mean, he would be a great guest to have on the show. Greg has a podcast called The Midlife Mail, and he actually just published a book called The Midlife Mail. It's episode 41, if people want to check that out. He has what he calls his six Fs. And one of the six Fs is fun. And he talks about how much fun we've missed out on when we get to midlife because we've put too much stock in family or we've put too much stock into just we haven't put enough stock into fun we just kind of let those things go 
so you think back to like, hey, what what were some things that I enjoyed doing, you know, in my 20s? Maybe maybe you're not physically fit to, to do those things again, but maybe there are some things that you did enjoy or things that you always wanted to do. Figure those things, figure those new hobbies out. You're never too old to learn a new hobby and have some fun. So I think that those things combat this idea of the midlife crisis because by the time we get to late 30s to 40s, we've become so much involved in the machine that is our life, that is the routine. And I'm big on routines. I love routines, but you need flexibility in those routines and you need to not lose sight of the things that bring you happiness and joy. And if the only things that are bringing you happiness and joy are your spouse and your children, you're missing out on a lot. You really are missing out on a lot. And I know people are like, dude, you're not married. You don't have any kids. You don't even know. Exactly. I know what is fun outside of, I know what brings me joy outside of family and, and children. So I, I can, I can, I can tell you that there's more to life than just that. Well, as we start wrapping up today here, what are you enjoying most about midlife? Like versus any other life stage you've had so far? I, this is, this is the lightest I've ever felt. This is the lightest I've ever felt. Now it's the heaviest I've ever been, but it's the lightest I've ever felt. (laughs) You know, my brain feels, my brain feels light. I'm having conversations like this on a regular basis. I'm these, these, these are the kind of conversations that I didn't get to have when I was teaching. And and I used to have them when I taught my humanity search for meaning class. That's that class used to be the reason why I woke up every day. I loved that class. And it was, we had juniors and seniors in there. We read books like man's search for meaning by Viktor Frankl we read Skin of Our Teeth by Thornton Wilder. We would watch Castaway. And what we were doing is we were trying to figure out what gives your life, what gives my life, what gives their life meaning. And then we would have them do what was called a, 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 a personal manifesto. And they would do a mission statement. And they would do a strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats assessment. And they would do a five-year plan. We would take a look at religion and what role religion plays in meaning and what role spirituality plays in meaning. I love that class. In fact, I'd like to recreate that class for adults. You know, that, that is, it's those kind of things. I, I, I do miss the curriculum writing piece of of being an educator because that's what gave me a lot of joy but then bringing that to a discussion like this one those were things that i missed and now that i'm doing that on a regular basis i feel energized like this is the third interview that i've done today i did two for my show and this is the this is the first guest interview that i've done today but i was a guest on another show yesterday. So as as mentally exhausting as these conversations are, they're so soul-filling for me as well. And so the fact that I get to have these conversations on a regular basis, I mean, you know, preparing for these conversations, it's a lot of work because you're doing all the behind the scenes emailing and scheduling and coordinating and all that kind of stuff. But then when you sit down and you have the conversation and it's a good one, man, that is rewarding and that is fulfilling. Yeah, total agreement. And it's one of those, well, it's one of those things that you, you just don't often get in any other segment of life. It's like you had to go create this situation where you get to talk to amazing people like, and, and have good conversations. Yeah. So all right, you've already mentioned a couple places people can find you, Billy, you know, through Jill Dollar's website and uh, you your own podcast, Mindful Midlife Crisis, anywhere else people can track you down. 
Yeah, I'll just break it all down for you here. If you want to listen to the podcast, you can go to www.mindfulmidlifecrisis.com. We're also available wherever you get your podcast. Give us a, a five-star review wherever you can. Apple Podcasts, go to Spotify. We're on there. I think CastBox or Podcast Addict are pretty popular for our show too because we have quite a bit of international listeners because, <laughs> you know, you know, when I was traveling, I made sure that I connected with people from all around the world just to kind of spread the word. You can, I'm, I'm always on Instagram. People can follow me at mindful underscore midlife underscore crisis. We are on Twitter. Not a lot, but we are on Twitter at mindful midlife. We have a Facebook page that we use the mindful midlife crisis podcast. You can like and follow us there as well. I'm on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear you. I'd love to connect from you on LinkedIn. It's Billy Lahr, L-A-H-R. You can find me on there. If you're interested in the Reflect, Learn, Grow program, go to www.jilldaler.com. It's www.jilldaler.com. And you can get information from there. Or you can email me at mindfulmidlifecrisis at gmail.com. We can correspond. I can send you the landing page directly. I'd love to hear from you. I hope something resonated from this episode right here. And if it did, please let me know. And for sure, let Brock know because it, I'm a big words of affirmation guy. And I love when I love when listeners send messages to me and say, I really liked this guest because then it it lets me know that I did a good job of picking guests. So if you thought I was a mildly entertaining or informative guest, you can let me know, but for sure let Brock know because those are great. It's his show. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate that. And yeah, it's always fantastic to to hear from, from folks on how the show resonated, what they liked about it, what they've been able to put into action in their own lives. You know, just like I say, we don't get to have these conversations often. So one of the things I love about listening to podcasts is even if you're not having it, you're you're listening in on the conversation and learning from it and relating to it. And so, yeah, always love to hear from everybody. And Billy, it's been fantastic having you on today. And yeah, I mean, it's been great. I love these conversations. Thank you. Yeah, I thank you for having me on and thank you for having these conversations. I think talking about midlife, it's important. You know, there's more of us approaching midlife these days and, and uh, you know, as, as together as some of us think we, ha we are, you know, we, we could always use a little extra help. And it's also important to know that you're not alone out there. Like we're all, we're all going through something and the more of these conversations that you have and that I have and that the, your listeners hear, the more you, you recognize that, oh, I, I'm not alone. And maybe it encourages people to either A, be a little bit more empathetic or B, be a little bit more vulnerable. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> 